You're listening to Tove, a podcast about the good place and Jewish ideas. Hey, everybody, we have a crew of four here today. And our particular focus is Kirsten Mann, who is costume designer on The Good Place. Hi, Kirsten. Hello. You want to just tell us where you are right now and what you're doing at the moment? Right now, I'm in Los Angeles. And I'm working on a show called Loot with Maya Rudolph, who is our Good Place judge. And it's my seventh product project with Maya, who I adore. She's my god that eats burritos. <laughs> <laughs> I adore her. And so that's what we're working on. And it's interesting because it's about a woman who's very wealthy and trying to become a better person. You know, if any of you have seen it, yeah, it's, we're it's, all we're all waving because we're we love we all love Maya Rudolph. You do. I mean, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Exactly. Amazing. And I also live half the year in New York and work in New York as well. So I'm I'm divided between the two of you. <laughs> and John Spirosavet, a rabbi working in New Hampshire, the synagogue where I work is called Temple Beth Abraham. I. I'm Sari Laufer. I'm a rabbi in Los Angeles at Stephen Wise Temple. And while I am in Los Angeles full time, my heart and soul are certainly divided between New York and LA, as New York is the land of my birth and LA the land of my life now. Hi, Ilana Schachter. I'm thrilled to be here with you. I actually am also divided. I think this is a very interesting mix of people. I am a lifelong New Yorker who took a brief detour and spent 10 years living in Los Angeles. And now I'm back in New York. So my my heart is also in both places. I like to say that I'm bicoastally bilingual. I can like chill like a West Coast person, but I can get things done and be a little pushy if I have to like a New Yorker. But right now these days I'm in New York as a rabbi in Roslyn, Long Island. I have to say that I am a Midwesterner by by growing up and uh, although I have lived in New York but not in Los Angeles. But I don't think that living in Minnesota is any is any kind of synthesis between New York and LA at all. Well, we are recording this just, and we're going to release this just before the Jewish holiday of Purim, which is a festival that is observed by dressing up in, in costume and, and performing, which is why Kirsten is here. And uh, I just want I just going to say one thing about myself. I was remembering this. The one time I've been on TV and knew I was going to be on TV and seen by a lot of people, I didn't have my own personal kind of wardrobe consultants around at the when I was getting ready to go, which is my wife, Lori. And so among the many things that happened, I was actually tweeted about by the executive editor of the Daily Beast, who said something about the rabbi's tie is an abomination to the Lord. And so just for the just for the purposes of the Zoom, and I'm, I won't ask you, I won't put you on the spot to like comment, but I wore this gray jacket and this Jimmy V tie. And I, I don't think it was the perfect choice but it was uh, i don't think it's bad that's it that's it <laughs> thank you you've you made my day already <laughs> well I'll put the i put the tweet and the and the picture yes yes in the show notes <laughs> but no kirsten well the first thing we ask people new on the podcast is uh, which character on the good place you think you're most like right now so kirsten who would you say it's very funny you sent this to me in an email and i still i i, I thought all the way up until this very minute, I'll just 
think because of course I feel like an amalgam of the characters and I relate to Eleanor in all her not necessarily the evolved Eleanor but the a little <laughs> the more selfish Eleanor and I I've, I thought a lot about this question because Tahani I kind of bump against Tahani you know she's a person that I I don't always find likable and then I thought to myself maybe she's the person closest to me you know sometimes the people at a dinner party that are the most annoying to you are the ones that are just like slightly different than you are and so I'm I'm going to stick with Eleanor but I do I probably have some Tahani in me the Los Angeles portion of me <laughs> <laughs> and do you have a character you wish you were a bit or a lot more like right now? Disco Janet. I'm going to go with Disco Janet. <laughs> I love her. I love dressing her. And, you know, I love all Janets. Darcy is so amazing in in what she pulled off with the Janet character. Mm. So, in my dreams, I'm a Janet. <laughs> Janet is my mother's name. She'll love that I just said that in my dreams, I'm a Janet. <laughs> Oh, that's great. So, you know, we of course want to know your story of how you got involved in the project of The Good Place and also what particularly is your role and and what do you do in that role as costume designer? Well, I started working with Mike Schur, who's the creator of The Good Place, on Parks and Recreation many years ago. And I adore Mike. This whole podcast could be a love letter to Mike, but I'll try to hold back. No, that's fine. And we did Parks and Recreation. We did Brooklyn Nine-Nine and then came along The Good Place. And The Good Place has been special since the start. You know, we had a specific number that we wanted to do. He never wanted to go on and on. You know, usually when you're working on a show, you want to do 150 episodes. You know, your dream is that the network keeps picking you up, but they would have continued on with a good place, but he had a specific stopping point and a vision. And he is, I wonder what he would say, but I feel like he's the opposite of Chidi. He's such a decisive, kind-hearted person. Not that Chidi is not kind-hearted, but Mike is very decisive and great to work with. That's the best kind of showrunner you can have. Mm. The thing I also love about working with him is that in every script that he writes, you can always tell when he's written something because you laugh and you cry. I always get choked up when I read something that Mike has written. Mm. So tell us about your line of work. And (laughs) And, and also I'm a costume designer. (laughs) Cares about me. I never want to talk about clothes. (laughs) No, I'm the costume designer. So I get to try to talk. I mean, I love to tell the story through clothes and that's what I get to do for my life. And so I get to work closely with the actors doing fittings. And in the initial fittings of any show, you're, you're talking about character and you're trying to get to a place where the actor feels like the character. And that's the miracle of being in a fitting room with the actor. And I feel like I have the best job in the world because I get to be part of the storytelling in a different, in a more, in an artistic way, in a colorful way, I'll say. And trying to help people feel in their bodies and in the, direction of where they need to go with their character. 
I have a question about that. You know, I've been thinking about this holiday Purim where we dress up in costume. And one of the the big themes of Purim is I think this juxtaposition between the the ability for a costume to hide our identities and the ability for us to reveal who we are. And I'm just thinking about what you just said just reminded me so much of this this juxtaposition because I feel like as a costume designer, you have the the role of finding costumes that actually don't feel like costumes, costumes that align with the character or that like elevate the character's truest self. So I'm just wondering if you could speak a little bit about the role of costume in terms of bringing out one's identity, one's character's identity versus how we might think about the word costume as the opposite. Right. That's so interesting because I I feel that we are all wearing costumes, right? You know, we're all always wearing costumes. And I do a lot of shows where this would be a costume. In fact, probably Kristen Bell probably wore this sweater, you know, something like this sweater. But, you know, we're always wearing costumes and we and we're occasionally we put on our confident outfit or our outfit where we don't want to be seen. So it's a clothing is always costume to me and who, how people want to be seen in the world is so interesting. Always, you know, if you're playing somebody else, like Ted Danson is playing somebody other than Ted, when he's playing Michael and we're in the fitting room, he needs to feel like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? And there's actors that say that they work from the inside out and some that work from the outside in, which is kind of an interesting thought, you know, if you put on the clothes and you all of a sudden feel like I'm a powerful person, I'm a godlike creature, I'm an angel, I'm whatever, whatever I am, or you can really start to work inside and kind of then see how you want to be seen by the out, by your outer person. And, and I work with all actors that, that go both ways, you know, but I guess, I don't know if I'm answering your question. I do think we're all always wearing a costume and how we want to present ourselves. So your costume at Purim is just, it's fun because you get to stand outside yourself, but is it saying something about you in addition to, you know, your daily wear? I'm going to jump in because Alana stole my question. So I, I want to actually play off on the Purim thing again, right? One of the language, there's a lot about like hiddenness and revealed. And I'm curious, I was like trying to go through like a mental Rolodex in my head, but were there ever times on the show where you specifically dressed a character really differently than they would normally be sort of in an attempt to, to reshape their character in some way or another? Like, I feel like a lot of the work I would imagine that you do on any show, but I feel like especially on a show like this is to like dress, you know, like when I think about Tahani, especially because hers are, you know, like it was to, you know, portray this particular, you know, I like the, the LA comment. I agree. Right. But, you know, can you, were there ever times where you were either tempted or did dress in such a way to like, again, I think it's what Alana said, like both hide aspects of who they are, but also elevate other aspects, like let us see different parts of them. Right. I I mean, I think the obvious person is Jason, who you, we're, we're putting in monk's robes. And he's he was probably the character that we could go the 
the furthest with because he's you know he's in he's got his florida gear he's got his good place gear he's got his monk's robes and he's really hiding he's really hiding he's not speaking he's (laughs) and all we have is that costume to think initially especially that he is a monk you know and if he wasn't wearing that and he was just a guy in a tracksuit not speaking we might feel differently about him, but because he's wearing that specific costume, we excuse that behavior and he is really able to hide. So that's the one that just spells it out the most, but each and, and Eleanor was a little more subtle. She would never have worn the good place clothes in Arizona. And you know, we're dressing her like the good Eleanor. And I'm saying that in air quotes for people that are listening so that she's wearing plaid shirts and she's wearing clogs and she's a little more down to earth. At least that's what we're trying to show. And she has like a real studio city farmer's market vibe going on. Yeah. She's got a definite, (laughs) definitely farmer's market, (laughs) which I have to say, I've also worked with Kristen a lot and I adore her and there's certain people that just mainly, and I'll include Maya in this as well, want to be comfortable. And so she probably leans more towards farmer's market, good Eleanor, in her real life. And so it's very, she's very easygoing person. And anyway, so subtly, we tried to show it with Eleanor. Jason's a bit easier, cheaty, you know, just to go a little more professorial. And I think that he bought it. And it is interesting when you're doing costumes that people, especially when you're working with Mike, people sort of become the character in their real lives. And he's also taking from real life to exaggerate their characters. And there's often little digs in in any kind of direction, you know, who the person actually is, you know. I was thinking about that the the good place is by its nature kind of an exaggerated like a, a parable when it's just in the neighborhood especially initially and, and it's funny because I'm not a visual person at all it took me a long time to sort of figure out that I was responding to you know kind of the color scheme and everything of the the sets and the yogurt places and all that but but I wondered if that does that make it sort of easier or harder I would think comedy generally maybe is a little more exaggerated but but you know first these people are set up as kind of types that could be summed up in a in a word and then they get more sophisticated does that make it easier or harder to to dress them when they are types it's it's very easy and I mean you hope that people are broader than their types and we were able to do that throughout the season but you want to be able to tell a story very quickly so Arizona Eleanor is a very specific look and and I don't know that everybody can see that I can see that (laughs) Terry sees it but so we want to be able to tell a quick part of the story with the costume when you first see her that you get like, oh, this is a different person than the person that we're seeing in The Good Place. And so I think that is part of my job is to give a quick wink to we're trying to move this character along. Did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. And we're hoping to be subtle. And I will say working with Mike, he never wants it to be about the costume. He wants it. I think he wants everything to be subtle so that you get it if you get it. And if not, you're 
you're moving along with the story. And so I never try to make the costume bigger than the story on anything I work on, I hope. <laughs> so I have a question. So I'm up, John knows this, Alana, you may not, but that I think Mindy is like, I love, I can't, I cannot get enough of Mindy and I cannot get enough of the medium place. I, like I, I literally cannot get enough. And I'm sure <laughs> like, and I think I know the answer, but I, I mean, I, she's so perfect, right? I grew up in New York city in the eighties and nineties. So I'm like, yes, the shoulder pads, the sneaker, like the whole thing. Yeah, but yeah. like, she's also sort of the one character who never bear right like that's always and you know so I was just I don't know if this is a question or a comment but like as you were talking about sort of Eleanor's style like I think does it's subtle but there is that difference of as she sort of like it feels like she owns herself as the quote-unquote good Eleanor like she's more comfortable dressing that way and also like kind of like leaning a little I feel like to the cheaty aesthetic you know like sweaters and things like that you know and Mindy sort of stays in that same place and I'm curious you know like was that part of the conversation of like, that's part of it, right? Is she is in the same place and others are not. Right. And Mindy never really changes. I mean, she gets Derek for a second. She gets some some wind wind chime action. (laughs) She doesn't really change. And so we don't want to change her. And I love her too. I almost picked her as my person (laughs) because she, she's just so herself. She's, there's nothing that she's trying to be and or not be and yeah goals I mean maybe not to do cocaine (laughs) and maybe but she's she's very comfortable with everything that she's set up there her naked gardening and her you know her whole life there and she she's not interested in spending time with any of them and yeah there's something amazing about her. I'm also obsessed. And anytime we got to, you know, we drove up to Disney ranch to shoot those scenes. And anytime we got to do it, I was so excited. There was, I think, a couple moments that that really struck me in the series around Eleanor, who I would have thought was the one who had the most variety of of costume. And I was thinking about when she has her first return to Earth, where she doesn't get killed by the grocery cart incident. And she, you know, she's had that distinctive Arizona look. And then as she starts to drift into that year of doing good stuff, she looks a lot different. And I really appreciated how that how that look sort of helped tell the story. And in a, and I was amazed when I watched it again, how in how efficiently, how compact you guys were in being able to illuminate her, that transformation and then her disillusionment sort of around that when she eventually gets to the bar at the end of that. And, and the other thing about the Eleanor that struck me was when she, I guess it's at the beginning of this season four, when she's left in charge by Michael and in those opening episodes when she's trying to dress the part of the boss. And, and I think if I'm right, that her, that, that what she wears kind of changes over the course of that. And and I totally relate to that. I mean, I'm for, for a long time early in my career, I was, you know, necktie all the time. I was just, I just, I needed every possible piece of authority I could muster. I was teaching kids, high school kids, and I did not believe that I could, that they would buy me as the character that I was trying to be. But was that, am I, did I get that? Am I observing something? Yeah, that's so, I'm so impressed by your observation, actually, because I do think she's, she has subtle movement, but it's definite movement. And 
Uh, now I'm going to be a little sexist. I'm so impressed that a man noticed, and it makes me so happy. Can I? I'm sorry. Can I just interject? Because because I was responsible for my my middle child. You know, my first girl when she was a toddler, and I was the the parent at home. And every and, and every day, my wife would say like, "You went out in that. You know, you let her go out in that." To the point that I was dressing her just in you know in black pants and a pink shirt like every day. That's so I'm pretty impressed. Yeah. So your observations are correct. And when she goes back and then she travels to Australia, if you remember, she traveled to, to meet Chidi. And then I wanted to dress her a little more collegiate. So she's she's a college student or or she's trying to trying to be she's trying it and so that's what that's that shift. And I thought it was a pretty subtle shift, but I'm so glad you noticed that we were really trying to do that and take her out of her Arizona garb and, you know, make her a little bit more serious. And then as as the seasons progress and she becomes an architect, we definitely put sweaters on her with little shirts underneath and tried to make her look a little more professional, that she was taking the job seriously. And so she could be taken more seriously by the people that are coming into the good place. And I'm very happy you noticed. Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying to decide what my question about Tahani is. I love, I also love Tahani. I, I think my question, I mean, in some ways, I guess she's sort of the character also whose whose clothing changed the least, right? I'm trying to think if we ever sort of saw her out of like Tahani. And I'm, but I am also curious, you know, I, I know that Jamila, Jamila is such a, an activist for, you know, body positivity and like, you know, all sizes. And yet I think is portrayed as sort of the most like girly and superficial of all of them. And I'm curious, like, was that a conversation with her or is she just like consummate actress who's like, yep, put it on me and I will go out there in it. That's funny because actually Jamila dresses a lot like Tahani. And we we took good, a, for, good for her. Yes. <laughs> we took, I mean, I'm sure she's she is for body positivity and that everybody should do what they want to do. But she in her personal, you know, we took a lot of and I said this in the the Good Place podcast. She wheeled in a suitcase on our first fitting, <laughs> and we tried her own dresses on her for for silhouettes because she knows what looks good on her. She's very aware, and we patterned a lot of her personal things. So she probably dresses the most like herself in real life as well, and she is a very feminine, beautiful woman. And, and she, she knows what look, looks good on her. And we didn't move that needle too much. And in a weird way, it's so funny when I just was rewatching and that she dies in that private jet, like how much, how far did they move? You know, when they do the the funerals to end all funerals and she's in her private jet and everybody goes back to who they were but I don't know how much she left it she became kinder but she was still who she was at the core I'm reminded of the episode where she tries to wear cargo pants for her soulmate yeah. <laughs> I was just re-watching that yesterday and it's <gasps> such an uh, the discomfort that she holds during that episode and I think I don't know that the tension she keeps 
alluding to the fact that that outfit is very comfortable, but it's also so disconcerting to her. I I really appreciated what you did there in that episode. Thank you. That's very funny. Jamila herself is not comfortable in cargo pants, and we did get to put them on her a few times. And, And the sweatpants she wears also at Eleanor's funeral. But yeah, she doesn't wear pants a lot. That's a woman who wears who wears a dress and wears it well. Cargo pants are an ongoing joke in our house as well. So I oh, they are. what's the yeah. joke? I, I mean, my husband like loves them. He thinks they're like the greatest utilitarian. And I'm like, <laughs> they're done. Like we, we don't wear cargo pants. And what's funny is I don't remember who the designer is. They just did a collab with Target and I bought a pair of pants and I'm like un. I'm taking them out of package. My husband's like, do you know what those are? And I was like, they're so cute. They have a pocket here. And he's like, they're cargo pants. (laughs) I don't think anyone else in the show wears cargo pants. No, but I feel like Jason would. Cargo pants, though. Like Jason would, though. I feel like that would be in. Yeah, he might. Pillboy might have. Yeah. Yeah. Donkey Doug. When you found out that you were going to get to like go to Earth in season three, was that, or, you know, I mean, you had the flashbacks, which were always took place, but, but that you would have like whole episodes. Was that, was that a, a big deal? Was that like, oh, fun, we get to do something totally different here? I mean, going to Earth feels more like every other show. Making the good place was probably the biggest, the most fun to try to make a, a little bit of a fantasy world. But going to Earth, I mean, every, I have to say everything was fun on the show. It was a really great show. A lot of us had worked together for many years. Most of us came from Parks and Rec and there's a lot of good people for real on that show. So going to Earth was fun, but making the good place and making the bad place and doing those, I mean, the bad place is particularly fun. That that was great doing those characters, doing the Janets and the bad Janets, that's more exciting for me. <laughs> I, I've been thinking about the Janet from a couple point of view, but as you say, all the Janets. And then, you know, I'm just fascinated by the Janets episode where it was the void and, and, and the only thing that differentiated people was what they were wearing. And and I guess the idea of Janet herself as, as, a, as someone who's not really supposed to be a person with a personality and which I guess is made, what, making me maybe that's part of a question about whether the unique concept of the show is being about ethical ideas or things like that. Did that cause you to think about either that character or just like ha- how you approach this differently than you would on a show that's set in a, a police station or a city government? Yeah, I definitely need to. All right, I'll break that into two pieces. So one is, I guess, one is Janet as a kid, like, like. How do you approach someone who, like, she could look so many different ways, and also she wasn't, you know, did you think of her, okay, that, like, the show calls her not not a girl, but basically she's a character, so I'll treat her like a character, but, or or was it, or do you approach that differently because, because well, she's I, a different kind of character? So, I, I've told this story before, but when I read the script, I thought of when I was a kid, I used to fly alone occasionally in the 70s. And the stewardesses always, and they were called stewardesses then, so always, I felt very taken care of them. And they felt like these 
mythological creatures and they and that's what they wore and so right when I read it I felt like oh Janet is like a 1970s stewardess mm. with the, the the shirt and the and the skirt and the vest and the whole thing and I remember them they used to let me hand out mints and when I said it to Mike he was completely down with it and then Darcy was game and that was that literally in the fitting, we were kind of organizing how we were going to create this costume and then we're able to make many, you know, in, in the chapter where there are all the Janets, almost all of them are wearing that when in the, in the scene where that we're in the blue and yellow Chevron outfits, she's wearing that. She's always wearing that. She's always my air hostess in the sky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it helps that she's, I mean, they didn't feel like real people to me at that point. And, and then it's so lovely that Janet becomes more and more human. And I do think Mike sometimes predicts the future. I don't know if any of you read that article in the New York times where the Bing bot was saying, I love you to the reporter. <laughs> Did anybody read that? And and I felt like, oh, it's like Janet because she kept getting more and more human until she, and she was madly in love with Jason and it held on to that love throughout the whole thing. Yeah. So the other the uh, the other part of my question, I guess, was does the, when the show talks about these conceptual things so explicitly, good and evil, or right and wrong. Does that change things? On, on the uh, on the official podcast, you talked about something related to green being the color of the good place color and breaking it into its pieces of blue and yellow for something. Is it? Does that like? Did you do your job differently because of the nature of the show? Well, I I loved that there were rules in the show and we had rules to follow, like and a color rule. And I love color. And I loved how I was able to think about it in regards to this show and that he very specifically that green was good and red was bad. That helped me a lot. And as I said, in the official one, we, when he said blue and yellow, that because they were the colors of the university of Michigan, mm-hmm. he wanted all the Chevron stripes when we, when we do that first episode in, I needed to make sense of why that worked also. And, as you all know, yellow and blue equal green, and that that it's the tearing apart of the good place colors. And so Mike gave me parameters, and I like to think of things in color. Mm-hmm. If you know that purple is the shadow for yellow, I am always thinking how things make sense to me in in, in the color wheel. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that if you if you take a primary color and you combine the other two colors that makes the shadow of that color you guys are like not you're nodding and stuff without because i learned it in art (laughs) i remember learning that in art now that you said it i know that i would have thought about it john's like taking notes right now for his next tv (laughs) i will say i was on jeopardy that's my big television appearance in life and they send you an email that actually gives clothing suggestions so I I thought you were going to say John's taking notes for the next time he has to address his daughter. Oh, or that. I don't have to do that anymore. Or for his next sermon. It's going to be all about the color wheel. (laughs) 
I, I'm thinking partly that in a in a way we do this black box thing as as congregational rabbis. Like I don't dress the part of what I'm going to talk about, like or what the Torah reading is about. And that's uh, occasionally now I'm thinking about like occasionally I do say that I picked a certain tie because it, I'm going to say like this has to do with that dimension. But I don't have that many ties, so I make them all that. about whatever. But but like I'm thinking about story. Like I'm I'm just it's so cool to do storytelling with those tools and with those visual tools because a lot of the storytelling I get to do I don't I don't have access to that or I don't have the time like I think if I thought about it maybe I would try to create that a visual to aid what I was talking about right not everybody has a <laughs> person in their back like I would love to though. <laughs> that'd be a dream come true I was also I mean again this is more of a comment than a question one of this past week we read in like in the in the cycle of the Torah readings the order that we read them was this portion Shitzaveh which is all about costumes actually it's about what the high priests had had to wear and it was I wrote about it as a in rabbinic school so it was my senior sermon so I've always been attracted to the the portion and I like clothing and can we put that in the show notes there Sari have you got it my senior sermon yeah no if I can find if I can find it yes I just don't know that I can find it because it was like back in the days of like floppy disks. So. <laughs> but what I was going to say, and, and I think it's actually really interesting based on Kirsten, some of the things you were saying about the characters, right? Like, I think what is so maybe, and Michael aside, because I, as you said, like at the beginning, they are not presented as people, but like the others, like the the foursome, like I, I love knowing that actually like parts of them are really part of the costume, right? So in the Torah portion, it really is like the priests like put on this costume almost as armor. It's like, I'm going to put this on. And once I put it on, I know what to do and how to behave. And I sort of love this idea that for both the characters and for the actors, there wasn't that sort of suiting up in armor, that it was like this reminder of like, actually, I'm going to wear things that are maybe how I dress in, in maybe less for Jason, but for the others, maybe a little bit how I dress in the world. And so not having that, like, I put this thing on and then I become this other figure. And so I'm I'm intrigued by that. And I think Brooklyn Nine-Nine being opposite, right? Where they, you know, they're going to put on a police uniform and then they become this person that they might not be in life. So it's not really a question, but I'm intrigued right, by that. Right, except that Andy in Brooklyn Nine-Nine is, is wearing <laughs> a leather jacket and and flannel shirts mostly yeah. with jeans and also I love Andy Samberg I just like <laughs> would like that yeah oh yes I love him too yeah. he he definitely was wearing what he likes to wear including his sneakers and sometimes he'd wear his pants home and then just wear them the next morning you know his bottom half was <laughs> often just getting uh, uh, <laughs> at the end of the scene so I do feel my goal and especially in television where you, a lot of things are close up. The most important thing is people's faces and expressions. And I always say, I say this to everybody, never wear uncomfortable shoes because it makes your face look bad, you know, and people are looking at your face and not, maybe they look at your feet for a second, but so be comfortable so that you can do what you need to do. I mean, that's my advice for anyone in life. I mean, but that's coming from somebody who never wanted to wear a prom dress. So, (laughs) and, and I don't really want to, you know, being a costume designer, some people expect you to dress a certain way. And I feel like I dress a a way that makes me efficient in my work. 
Although I do find that as I'm doing a show, I start to dress like the main character <laughs> oh. because I can't help myself. I'm thinking of them. And then I, you know, you're, you're slowly just <laughs> becoming, you know, I probably dressed a lot more like Eleanor as we were doing the good. And sometimes Kristen would say, what are those pants you're wearing? I want to wear them on the show. And then we, we had a lot of closet exchanges. Yeah, uh, I'm just this is totally off topic, but I'm just wondering if you could pick one thing from Maya Rudolph's loot wardrobe that has <laughs> entered into your wardrobe now. What would it be? Oh, that's such a good. So she she. Oh, gosh. That, that, I mean, I those love it all. I, don't think I, I, love, I love what she's wearing. I'd like, yeah. but I'm not sure I'm brave enough. I feel the same way. I feel like, could I pull off something from Maya's closet? I mean, wow, that's a good question. I look through that stuff all the time and I feel like, what, what could I? I love all those brightly colored things with matching, you know, pants. And I like all her matching looks and, and I wish I could pull those off. And the other day, because we're in the process of shooting, Maya was wearing the wackiest outfit. And I was like, I want, I want, I want to wear that. And she's like, take it, take it home. <laughs> it's like high orange flowered boots with an orange dress. And I didn't take it home, but <laughs> in my dreams, I could pull an outfit like that off. Yes. It, yeah, so she's very fun to dress. And loot is fun for that reason. Thank you for watching it. That's mm -hmm. nice. It, I am interested what you think about that. Maybe that's the, the next podcast you all do. Is how this person is becoming a better person. Is it? Is she? Is she? That's cool. I've just started to watch. I'm just, I'm, I'm way behind. And I love that. I love her as the judge in The Good Place. She's probably also one of my very favorite characters. It's so silly. And it is so fun to think that the judge of us all might be fishing through a purse and finding 10 lipsticks and a DVD and not finding the button to, to demolish us all. She's pretty incredible. I have a question. <laughs> Yeah, go for she it. might want to cut out too, but I'm so curious. Okay, I am familiar with a little bit with the book of Esther, and I'm always been curious. Can I ask? Do you think Esther would go to the good place? <gasps> I know. Wow. I am curious, and I thought, oh, I get to ask some rabbis because a lot of people, you know, it's almost like Minority Report. A lot of people died. I want to know why you think she wouldn't go. Like what are some on the list that that you would kind of put in the? You just said because we massacred like a hundred thousand people at the end of the story. I know, I know what I would answer, Sari. I was asking somebody else. <laughs> wait, wait, but I missed what Sari said. So no, I was repeating what you said. You said like a lot of people died. A lot of people died, and and I think about it, you know, and and I love Purim. It's so it's such a fun holiday, but. Okay, so I get wanting to kill Haman, but after that, then all his family is murdered. And I can tell you from being in, from a big family myself, we're not all on the same page about anything. So didn't feel like anyone got any kind of trial. And then after that, I think 500 and then 300 and, and so on and so on. A lot of people were killed. The innocent people get killed in the killing of the people that wanted to kill the Jewish people. 
And are you are you putting that at Esther's feet there, Kirsten? I'm I'm curious between Esther and Mordecai because they actually got to make the rule. And I've I've always been curious and then I, and so and since you wrote that we were talking about this, I thought, oh, I yeah. have a chance to ask some rabbis. It's such a good question. I I would I would have never thought about that question. I like just but I love it. You reframed the book of Esther for me in a <laughs> profound way, and I am sitting with it right now. I want to say that I think that I am not going to commit to a final answer right now, but one thing that I am thinking about is the way in which Esther's character is able to develop and improve and grow through the story. I think about Eleanor as a as an interesting parallel there. Esther starts out not as a bad person, but as a really passive person. She's an object of the story, and then there's a turning point where she becomes activated and i think that in that moment she steps she steps into a place of power and tries to do what is right for her people and I, so i want to give her points for that i don't know if at the end of the at the end of her life if we added up all the the good points and the bad points where we would tally you know whether we'd be in the the green or the red i i'm not sure but i i do feel like that moment has a lot of weight a lot of ethical weight that she stepped up and acted on behalf of of her people for for their sake, right? For others. She stepped up and was a voice for others. I love that. And I it's it's up to a certain point. Like I do feel like, you know, Haman's death makes total sense to me. And after that, I feel like as people are, it feels it, it gets a, a little dark. I was just teaching on it actually with a, a group of adult learners, and this is totally not an answer to your question, but it is sort of in a response to, to the, the show, The Good Place, that a lot of people read the Book of Esther as like farce or satire. And we were talking about the movie Inglorious Bastards. Is the end of the Book of Esther, is it just sort of the revenge fantasy come true? Like, is it actually meant to be almost a comedy scene of like, in like even like the first episode of the good place right like just like chaos and things flying everywhere and right like how would so I, again it does not answer your question about esther though i do actually really love that question and if i were giving a sermon friday night that would perhaps be my sermon so one of you but i do want to just name that like i think there's i don't know if it's a, i don't love Purim actually as a holiday but i don't know if there's a redemptive way of reading the end of that book that is a little less violent more vengeance if that makes sense I, I I love that answer because then it makes me feel like if it is sort of a farce, then it makes people more afraid to go up against, you know, if it is the, like, you better watch out because we will smash you that, mm. that I, that I love. I'll say a couple things. One is I think that I've come to understand Esther more and more as someone who was, Literally and, and fairly brutally, I think it's fair to say, forced to dress up in a certain way in the second chapter where she's in this 12-month disappearance in, into makeup and costume is is so horrifying and, and so different than the beauty contest that many of us were taught about in Hebrew school. And to have to emerge out of that and figure out how to wear this crown, I guess, is really interesting to me. And I I've been thinking a lot about... 
I guess I, I, a couple of things. When somebody actually was coming in today to talk to me, exploring about Judaism and talking about how all religions have this male energy, negative, you know, male patriarchal thing that the old religions have. And it was very interesting because Ilana and, and I and Daniela a year ago were talking with, I think, maybe our different gendered perspectives about Purim and actually about the episode that I that I'm going to want to ask you about if you've got a minute to also so maybe I think about this differently but but I, it made me focus on something and maybe the way you're asking the question too Kirsten is that I might think if I wanted to give Esther more points to attribute something to her at the end which was that when she and Mordechai declare okay this is how we're going to celebrate in the future yes we're going to read this story and also we're going to have these other customs of we're going to feed each other sweets and we're going to look out for people who are vulnerable. And I very much would want to read that as somebody's contribution, maybe Esther's to, yeah, that was out of control and maybe that had to happen. Maybe it didn't have to happen. Maybe we need to atone for that happening. But I want to grab hold of this thing again and make it better because we need, there are parts of it we need to hold on to and remember. So that's how I would at least give her points. <laughs> I never thought to attribute to Esther the carnage. I just naturally would go to it, either it being unfortunately out of control, or I or, or I thought of Mordechai. I guess. Yeah. Well, no, maybe it isn't her. You know, she she. I mean, because up to that point, it feels like she's so brave, going and facing the king, and like we were talking about costumes. She's hiding her identity, and she's doing. But then, as as it starts to roll with the deaths. And it feels, yeah, so these answers were helpful. Thank you. Now, everybody and listeners, too, should think about this from all these points of view. I wanted to ask you, Kirsten, about a particular episode, Rhonda, Diana, Jake, and Trent, the one where our characters, who obviously are actors in costume, have to wear costumes to get through the bad place headquarters to get to the portal to the judge. And I was just curious if there's any story to that either conceiving of that episode or did you have anything to do with sort of that uh, plot twist or was that kind of a cool challenge to have to address there? With them switching into their, with Janet handing off their costumes of how they were going to fit into a certain place. I, I, I'm sure that was written in and, and we all were very excited about it because it's just fun to get them out of their characters and in to something else and then to see them the 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 animatronic versions of themselves in front of us was also very fun that whole episode was great for a costume department because we were dressing all those people who had committed those crimes flossing in the office or (laughs) the men that were saying things that I can't I, I can't remember a lot has anybody watched it recently they were saying things that you know were inappropriate to women or whatever and yeah dressing up and pretending that you are somebody else and then acting bad and who was good at it and who was bad at it and how it's funny because once again I'm talking about Manny who plays Jason he never leaves, aside from being a monk and being silent, he never leaves himself behind. You know, he's always going to throw a Molotov cocktail, you know, <laughs> so he's not, he, you know, I guess only influenced by his monk robes. He's himself. He can't, he can't help himself that his purity. And that's, a, that's what's so great about him. He's pure, pure Jason. Hmm. So that was, it was, 
great to do. And I have to say all the actors had a lot of fun doing it. And she's saying that you, the way to torture. And I don't know if you know that it was Dak Shepard, Kristen's husband, who is the demon who tries to get Chidi to talk. Did you know that? That's Dak Shepard. And yeah. he makes a little flirty move on Kristen at the end, just a little wink. <laughs> the, the, the demon who tries to get Chidi to come over and talk to and tell the others how, he, how you could torture somebody. That's Dak's. We loved having him on the show. And of course, Kristen did too. Cool. I am curious whether you have any sort of version of the occupational hazard that maybe the three rabbis have, which is that things that we read or things that we encounter, like there's always that sort of sermon meter on, I shouldn't speak for, for Sari and Ilana, whether that's true. But I know, you know, for me, like you mentioned that you sort of take on sometimes the wardrobe of things that you're doing, but do you have this, like, are your eyes always popping at what, the way you're seeing people dress or situations like that? Oh, when I see people out in public, is that you? Yeah, just like when you're wandering and just in your life. Oh, completely. I used to keep, you know, photo albums of just people on the street. And it's. I think it's fun going back and forth between New York and L.A. and looking at the difference. One of the lines in the show, you know, the woman in their $400 yoga pants and not vaccinating their children. You know, there there are these stereotypes on both sides. And I do love watching people and their clothes and how they're presenting themselves. And it's endlessly fun for me. And I don't think I'll ever get tired of it, which makes me feel like I made the right career choice. Anything else you want to ask us? Mm. Oh my gosh. I wish I could just take a long walk with each of you and talk about life. (laughs) Listening to the show. Like you name it, I'm not far from you. You're you're not far from me and then I'll be in New York. You definitely want to walk with these people, yeah. (laughs) No problem. I'm available. I will make myself available. (laughs) Would you really? Yeah. I have so many questions, so many life questions, and I love listening to you all. It's such an honor to be here. And so many life questions about the way that you are always questioning you know, what's going on in life and how you related it to this show has been it's very moving, very moving. Thank you. I was, I was not fishing for that, but wondering if you had anything related to the show or Purim that wanted to bounce off us more. Like well, Maybe what are you all doing for Purim? In my house, and I'm sure this is true in Sari's house as well, we have, we have little kids. So, you know, right now we're in a cold panic in my house because we have not fully put together the costume plan. Mm-hmm. So there are every night now there are very active debates. You know, there are lists but like these are the options and everybody has to get for their preferred costume. It sounds like a Hollywood like writer's room. My kids' options are you wear what you wore for Halloween or you find something else that's already in the house. We don't buy new costumes for prom. That's my rule. And I, speaking of like comfort with yourself, I have just decided to really lean into the adult onesie. So every year I just buy a new animal or whatever. So I'm going to be a Care Bear for our Perm Carnival because it's like a candy theme. And then on Purim itself, I just bought myself a sloth costume and I'm pretty excited about it. Wow. I don't know if you know that Kristen Bell's favorite animal. I do actually know that. (laughs) I do actually know that. It's funny because I was going to say for an idea, just dress everyone like the good place. Yes, that would actually be super fun. Maybe one year we will do that, actually. 
Oh, wow. I've made so many Janet costumes, including for Maya's daughter, Pearl. That's awesome. We, will, we, 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 we could have a little Janet costume factory back in the day. John, what's happening by you? No, no. So I, I've got these two sets of thoughts because I, I was mentioning before, and I think this is something, Kirsten, you, you asked this a while ago. So the, the year that I was my first year out and teaching high school kids and trying to be rabbi, rabbi in, in as formal as possible, I definitely came as sort of bad Janet. I wore, I don't know, what when I was growing up were called burnouts, you know, with my, my ripped jeans and my t-shirt with the skull and, you know, my, my sort of heavy metal version with the cigarette thing. <laughs> I my, need a photo. Yeah, and and it took me a little bit of guts, I think, myself to do it. And the kids were like, it had the effect, I guess, it would have, which was that who who is that? I I put the makeup, I'm you know bleached my face, whatever you call that, too. But now I'm more in the situation where my intended audience are children. So last year I was Bruno. It's hard to believe that was a whole year ago in Kanto, and just trying to think of like something that's in their life and enchant them a little bit. But I so much like the shadow side kind of bad rabbi idea. (laughs) I'll just share one really quick perm story because I'm reminded of what you said, Kirsten, at the beginning about how we're always wearing costumes, like what we choose to wear is how we want to portray ourselves. And last year I dressed up as kind of like an 80s punk rocker, kind of like a Joan Jett vibe, you know? And so I wore these stiletto boots with tight neon colored leggings. And I had before the children's Megillah reading before our service in the sanctuary where I was going to wear this costume, I had a meeting with a bar mitzvah family. And so I was in full costume <laughs> with the bar mitzvah family. And I had, you know, I have curly hair. So I just kind of teased out my hair. It was really big and puffy. And I wore eyeliner, which I, you don't know me, but I don't usually wear makeup. And at a certain point in the conversation, I said to the family, you know, I'm sorry about my outfit. You know, I'm just on my way to the service. And the father of the bar mitzvah said, oh, I just thought that that was the way you dressed. (laughs) (laughs) And I I was like, no, this is not. Did you keep in touch with that family and did they ever laugh about it with you later? Yes, I know the family very well. We haven't revisited that comment, but but I, I it was it was a precious moment for me. <laughs> oh my god. That's very funny. I I once do you remember Carol Burnett from the the TV show in college, I a guy invited me to a Halloween party and I dressed as mama and I put a pillow in my butt and I had a gray short wig and I was I loved my costume so much. I was so excited to go to his party and I knock on the door and he's dressed like George of the Jungle or something. He's wearing like a loincloth and he first he didn't know who I was, which also excited me. <laughs> and then all the other girls were dressed as Robert Palmer girls. <laughs> and we never went out again. <laughs> I guess we should wind down. I always feel awkward. Like, should I ask someone, are you Jewish or say you're not Jewish? This being a Jewish podcast. I'm not Jewish. I, I landed in Israel. Like I was on my way from Greece to Egypt when I was young and backpacking. And then I never left Israel and I fell in love with Israel and I stayed there for a year and I moved with our Garim from Kibbutz Avron down to Kerem Shalom. And 
I felt, I, well, you know, I had a very strange, beautiful experience there. I was constantly having like a deja vu. I felt very at home and I felt like I could, I knew where things were. <laughs> I just felt very at home. And I thought I was only 19. I came home to finish college and I didn't go back. But during that year, I thought that's where that's how I wanted to live my life. I thought I wanted to live on a kibbutz. I thought I wanted to live very simply. And, you know, life happens. But I have such a heart feeling for that place and for the people and for the people that lived on the kibbutz and how kind they were to me and was a, a big part of my life. Hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. That is so interesting. I should emphasize for the listeners that, again, the the podcast is not at all attempting to sell Judaism or anything like that. It just, <laughs> it's just an interesting life point. To, no, to it is. And, but it actually made me want to do that. I was so excited. I, I was thinking, <laughs> rabbis want to talk to me? <laughs> I want to talk to you. So I got so excited when I read your email. Mm. Is there anyone from early in your life that you would want to give a shout out to as someone who got you thinking particularly about ethics or ethical philosophy long before you worked on The Good Place? So I thought I've listened to you ask this question and and one of my college professors, Jerry Farber, I'd say he he inspired me. I mean, he's a literature professor who I took many classes with and liked him very much. And he got me thinking about all kinds of things more than philosophy. And then I will say, I'm going to say my son made me look at life differently. And throughout the years in all sorts of ways, such a kaleidoscope of ways and helps me think about life and look at life. And so my shout out is to Charlie Sands, my son. Mm -hmm. Well, it's great all to talk together. Kirsten, man, thank you for I know I love this. Doing this. <laughs> so fun. Thank you so much. I'm really yeah. honored. Oh, we are too. Sorry, yeah, this was a honor. Treat. Thank you. Great to be all together. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. I look forward to our walks. Yeah, anytime. Yeah. <laughs> happening. I'll let you get through for him. All right. After that though. All good. <laughs> well, also when it warms up here. Very cold yeah. here, everyone. Yes, yes, it is cold here. It's like it feels like the East Coast. I New think Hampshire is lovely too. <laughs> oh, I bet. <laughs> well, that is another special episode of Tove. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the podcast or get something out of it, you can give us a good rating or a review and tell other people about Tove, however you do that. We'd love to hear questions and ideas. You can email any or all of us at tove at tovegoodplace.com or you can connect with us through Facebook or other social media at Tove Good Place. We've got a website, tovegoodplace.com, with show notes for each episode and general links to Jewish things or concepts we talk about on the podcast, like Purim and the Megillah, the Book of Esther. Kirsten Mann has a website, kirsten.com. That's K-I-R-S-T-O-N. Sari Laufer tweets at Rabbi Laufer. Ilana Schachter is on Instagram at F-O-R underscore R-I-L-S. I'm John Spiracevet at RabbiJS3 and also RabbiJohn.net. 
If you're getting ready to celebrate Purim, happy Purim, Simchat Purim. And if you're looking for a place where you live or online to celebrate, go to the host page on tovgoodplace.com and learn how to join any of us. Or get in touch by email and we'll help you out. We all really appreciate your listening and making time for our conversations in your time. And to adapt the sign-off that Mark Evan Jackson, who plays Sean, uses in the official Good Place podcast, now go learn more about something good. Bum, 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 bum.